That's a little different story than you might get from, hey, when you come to Jesus, everything's going to be beautiful and wonderful and your life's going to be perfect. Uh, So the thing I have to share with you is that uh, each of us who wear Christ's name, uh, there is a furnace coming for each of us. Uh, The good news is that uh, it'll be all right uh, because the Lord said he'll be with you in that furnace. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but um, this Nebuchadnezzar guy seems a little bit, a little off, a little little crazy and uh, a little, little full of himself. And, you know, there's some things where you kind of, kind of wonder about a guy like that. And do you ever imagine a employer have an employer like Nebuchadnezzar. That'd be a little crazy, wouldn't it? Maybe out of the ordinary kind of experience. That maybe it's a, uh, well, that's an extreme situation. But it may not be as extreme as you think, because actually uh, I can look back on my life and go, you know what, there was a moment where I, I kind of felt like I had a meeting with Nebuchadnezzar moment. Um, there was a time when, when I had an employer uh, who happened to have uh, the one child that he didn't raise, uh, already grown, uh, and he, he was a bit of a workaholic and he expected all of his staff to also be workaholics. Uh, at the time, we had just uh, had our third child and um, I was learning how to be a dad and, and uh, really be a good uh, employee, worker in my, in my work. And um, anyway, uh, the, the thing was is that he had this big idol, 90 foot tall, and it was called work. He was a workaholic, and he wanted us to be workaholics, and he wanted me to bow down to that idol. And uh, I had a choice before me, what I was going to do, how I was going to live my life. And I know um, for some of us, and I'll tell more about the end of that story, but um, I know in this moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't know what's going to happen. You know, we know the end of the story. They don't. And they don't, they're making a choice where they don't know what the outcome is for the future. You know, uh, listen to the words. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, these three young men, they had no guarantees of safety. And, and here's the way that Jerome, one of the early church fathers, described these three. He, he, he said it like this. We believe he is able to save us. We still believe if he does not deliver us. We don't believe in him in order to escape burning here, but in order to escape from passing from this fire into another fire. We believe in the future life. You know what? Faith is what these young men had instead of fear. And that's what we've been trying to describe here in this message series and talking about uh, it'll be all right. And we're looking at a people who are going into exile, a people who are going into troubles and hardships and trials. And the word from God last week that we talked about from Jeremiah 29 was a letter to those exiles saying, it's going to be all right. I have plans for you. I have hope for you. And so... Sometimes we take that verse out of context, we, we post it on our walls, and we don't know the instance of where that comes from. Is that it, it's words to a people who are in hardships and trials, people who go through fiery furnaces. And the word is, and the message 
for the next few weeks is it'll be all right if we choose faith instead of fear. And I believe part of that faith is having a faith and hope in our God and a faith in the life after, in heaven. You know, Karl Marx, the revolutionary socialist, he believed that faith in the afterlife kept people from acting to change things in the present. He said, religion is the opiate of the masses, or sometimes we translate it, the opium of the people. You know, Marx believed that really, basically, that faith dopes you up against the the pain of this life and keeps you from uh, acting, keeps you from bringing change. But I want to assert the exact opposite. To say that faith in the afterlife, faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, does the exact opposite. It moves us to act. I assert that it creates men and women who are willing to risk their lives for the love of what they've come to believe. People who are brave when they need to be. Marx might say that a man or a woman like that wouldn't last in this world. But the truth is, is that this world will not last if a man or woman like that does not exist. The story of the fiery furnace isn't a call to martyrdom, though. It's not a call to martyrdom. It's not a call to, to die gallantly or heroically. These men did not want to die. They wanted to live. They didn't throw themselves into the fire. They had to be bound and thrown into the fire. In fact, the men and the soldiers that had bound them were burned up by the flames and died. You know, these three men were not troublemakers. They were not revolutionaries. They were simply doing their job. That's all they were doing. These three, though, they were uniquely put into very visible positions. And this situation was placed upon them by God so that God's saving power might be displayed to a nation, so he might become known by a people who didn't know him. You know, one of the dual purposes of the exile wasn't just to discipline God's people, but it was also to send them as missionaries to a people that didn't know his name. God found these three men faithful and ready to go through the fire. And God was going to go through the fire with them. It's this kind of trust that allows us to say it's going to be all right, even when we don't know what the future may hold. It's this kind of faith that leads us to meet God in the furnace long time before we ever meet him in the sky. You know, the fiery furnace, like I said before, is an extreme example, extreme situation of the places that people of faith can be taken when we choose to honor God. You know, and that kind of honoring God happens alongside as we are working for the peace and prosperity of the city that God has placed us in. But I want you to back up just a little bit from the fiery furnace to another moment in Daniel chapter 1. And it's still during the 70 years of exile. Uh, it's still Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. They're, they're in the Babylonian court. But we see a minor example that might be closer to the types of ordinary day faith challenges that you and I might face here in our city. You know, I would hate anyone, I would hate to see anyone today walk away from today ready to be defiant to an employer, uh, to a school official or a neighborhood association over something that is really minor and silly. 
You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't go looking for fights. In, in chapter 1 of Daniel, they're in a, a Babylonian training program uh, to work in the government administration. They're learning to serve in the Babylonian royal court. And, and so they're, they're following the words that God commanded through the prophet Jeremiah. Settle down. Build homes. Plant gardens. Work and pray for the peace of the city. They're doing it. They're taking up their jobs. They're going through the training program. They're getting in. And they're doing it. They're working for the king who's working for this city nation. So in this place of exile, in a culture that does not share their faith nor their way of life, these men are praying and working for this pagan city nation. Now, I know for some of us who, you know, we, we kind of are used to splitting secular world, spiritual world. This is a blow your mind kind of thing. God, God, I believe God tells us that we, we can't separate those worlds, that it is all mixed together and that we have to learn to live in the tension of it. Now, these, these young men, they do this with faith and trust in God's words, spoken again by Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. During their, their training, they're learning all sorts of things that are contrary to their faith, but they don't object until something is personally forced upon them. It says, you're going to have to practice this. And it was part of their training to eat at the king's table and, and with the other trainees. Now, the scriptures told these young men that, that, that they were not to defile themselves with the food. And, uh, and they were resolved not to do this. There was, there was a line in the sand and said, we, we can't make a compromise here. We've, made, we've uh, learned the culture. We're serving the city. But this is a part of our personal devotion to God that we will not compromise. And I suppose at this point they could have said, well, sorry. Sorry, chief official. Sorry, trainer guy. Sorry, king. We're, we're done. We, we can't do this. We're, we quit. We're out of the program. We're off the island. And, and they could have, uh, that could have been one strategy. The other strategy is they could have said, hey, you know what? I'm working up a really great uh, sermon, and I'm going to preach it to everybody while we sit at the king's table. And while they're eating that food, I'm going to tell them how wrong it is to eat that food. And, and, uh, and yeah, it is a little condemning, but, but maybe I can persuade some people to change their minds and do a different diet. And, you know, they didn't take that strategy either. But what did they do instead? Daniel leads the way with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he sits down and he has a conversation with his employer. Isn't that an amazing strategy? Isn't that cool? He just sits down and has a conversation with them. I mean, you know, one of the best things you can do when there is a conflict of view, value, or faith in your workplace, the best thing you can do is just sit down and talk about it with the, person that, with the people that are concerned. You know, in, in this case, God caused the chief official, it says this in the Scriptures, God caused the chief official to have sympathy towards Daniel and his friends. And, and, and though he, God caused this, and there was favor, the official wasn't persuaded that he was going to change things up. The official was, was saying, look, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, I see that there's something special about you guys. You got talent. You're going to go far in this program. You're going to do great. But I, I can't change what's going on with the king's menu. If I do that, I'm going to get in trouble. And this is going to cause some problems with me and the king. I'm not sure I can do that. 
And so at this point, um, Daniel and his friends respond in an interesting way. Daniel proposes a temporary trial. You know, this is a really great strategy when you have a conflict where you feel like you can't compromise what you believe about God or your practices of your faith. A temporary trial gives everyone a chance to examine a new way, a new view, and how it affects everyone in sort of a suspended experiment. You know, if, if I had things to do over again with my situation in the past where I was working for a Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I, I didn't know how to handle the situation. You know, there's could, there could have been some different strategies I could have done as a young man at 29, 30 years old. I, I probably could have reached out to some older men, say, hey, give me some help, talk to some elders. I didn't do that. Uh, I just didn't feel like I knew how to operate in that system, in that church that was kind of like a machine. And so I just removed myself. I quit. I resigned. But if I had to do over again, I would probably take this strategy that, that Daniel and friends took. And, and I would probably sit down and I would say, you know what? Let's propose a test. Let's do a test. You know, there's the workaholic way. And, and then there's this other way where, you know, we, we do a Sabbath. And that we, we seek first the kingdom by, by loving our wives and loving our children. And that takes some time to do that. And so that might mean that there might be a few things that get dropped. But how about we do a test of like three months, four months, a quarter of a year. And we just go and we, we kind of examine which way is the better way. Yeah, I think I, I think I would have tried that, but I didn't. But here in this story, this is what Daniel and his friends do. And, uh, and it's a great, great way to do something when you can't make a compromise. Now, because of how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel had lived and worked and performed their duties in the past, this strategy works. Now, I want to tell you guys, if, if in the past, as an employee, as a worker, you've been obstinate, you've been semi-attentive, not so productive, not so disciplined in your workplace, then when something like this comes up, this, this strategy is probably not going to work for you. Um, at a point of conflict, this, your, your employer is probably not going to go for this. I mean, if your biggest thrill at, at work is just rubbing people the wrong way, I mean, that's probably the only thrill you're ever going to get from your work. Um, I don't think you're going to get more opportunities from your employer. I don't think you're going to get opportunities from God if that's what's going on. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, man, but I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm really faithful in my work, and I, I work hard. I'm attentive. I, I respond to, to the needs, and, and I, I communicate well. But it seems like all I get is trials, hardships, difficulties. What's going on? I'm being faithful. What's happening? Well, isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing? They're being faithful. They're solid. They were, they were performing top-notch guys. But you know what? God was doing something special. It was more than just about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their faithfulness. He took some faithful and honest people and he put them into a trial. He put them into a fiery furnace that would bring him glory. You, know, you ever wonder if some of the hardships or trials that you're in are really not about you? 
I mean, I know that James chapter 1 says that we're given trials so that they're to mature us. But maybe it's not just about maturing you, but it's also about glory to God, that somehow He's going to get some credit. It may not be about you, uh, you know, getting some reward or some sort of street cred, but maybe it's about some unchurched or unbelieving person finally having a thought that gives God a chance because of what they saw in you and how you responded in the fiery furnace. Now, some of you might be like, well, I'm not sure if I, I want that. I want to be faithful. I want to be good, but I'm not sure I want hardships and trials. I mean, there's, there's part of me that says, man, I want to live that kind of life where God would say, you know what, Shannon, you're being faithful, so I'm going to put you in this difficult situation so that some glory would be given to my name and that more people would come to know me. And, and I, I go, and I kind of cringe when I say it, but I, I go, yeah, I, I do want that. Because, you know, who, who's anyone honest? You know, do we really enjoy hardships and trials? No. Do we want to go in the fiery furnace? No. I mean, sometimes we might have to be bound and thrown into the furnace. I mean, it isn't our choice to go into the furnace, but it is what God has arranged to bring His glory. So I'm not saying that we get a martyr thing going on or that we go looking for tough stuff and, and try to harm ourselves or be sadistic or anything. I'm just saying that if we're faithful, God might bring a fiery furnace for us. And it may be not just about maturing us, but it may be about bringing some glory to His name. So do you want that sort of thing going on around you? Would you want those sort of opportunities to come your way? Then maybe there are some things that you and I might need to change up. I mean, maybe it's time to start working as if we're working for the Lord instead of working for a man or woman that we call boss. You know, uh, maybe there are some past moments that we need to reconcile with some coworkers. You know, hey, hey buddy, you know that is a while back, but I, I can't get it off my mind. I, I badmouth somebody else at work. And I just want you to know that I feel really bad about that. I'm sorry, and I just want you to know that... that um, I wouldn't want anyone to do that to me. And I hope you wouldn't think that you know, I would do that to you behind your back. And uh, I'm trying to make some amends and I just wanted you to know. Maybe just something simple like that. And I know working as if working for God and not man is a, is a good thing. And, and I know that for even some of us here who maybe are, are self-employed, I mean, it's, it's a really helpful thing because, you know, you're, own, you're your own boss and sometimes it's difficult and sometimes you can kind of slip into being lazy. I mean, it's a good thing to go, no, I'm not my boss. You know, God is my boss. I work for Him. You know, you know so maybe if we want some of these God gets glory moments in our lives, we might need to do a little repair work to our lives and our relationships. And with a little relationship repair and some determination to work for the Lord instead of men, maybe our lives could, could probably be something that God would want to use to make use to win the respect of outsiders. And maybe some of those outsiders would then want to become insiders. Maybe. Yeah. 
Well, the other thing that we might need to do while we work as if we're working for the Lord is that we begin praying for the peace and the prosperity of our city. That comes from Jeremiah 29.7. And when is the last time you prayed for God's holy peace to rest on Asheville? I mean, I know for a lot of us, you know, it's kind of like, well, there's such horrible things going on in Asheville. How can I pray for God's peace to rest on it? But maybe one of the main instruments for bringing peace is through God's peacemakers, His people. I mean, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And where does the Spirit reside here on earth right now? It, reserve, it resides in His people. And maybe somehow we're a part of that. His peace resting on this city. I'm not sure. But we need to start praying it. And, when, and when's the last time you asked God to cause the businesses and projects and initiatives of this city to thrive and to do well. I mean, I know a lot of times we read things in magazines and, and newspapers and online, and, and we do the opposite. I mean, we kind of grumble. We kind of complain about what the city is going to do next. And, oh, yeah, that'll really work. You know, and, and you know, there's another word for that com- type of complaining that I can't use here. But, but, you know, maybe instead of doing that, what if we prayed? What if we prayed, God... You know, if that idea could work out some of those kinks, I mean, that could really help some people. That might really be a blessing to to this city. Lord, I want to pray that somehow something like this could work. Maybe it's not this exact thing, but maybe. And and maybe some of you know some of those people who are working in the city who are working to, to try to implement those things. And you can even pray for those people by name. Well, I think when we start praying about these things, God's going to make us aware and ready. And, and this is something that, you know, you don't have to do all on your own, but something that might be good to grab two or three friends to pray about. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the three friends Daniel grabbed, and he prayed with them, and they prayed about their work and prayed about their city and about their very lives. Daniel chapter 2. You know, I believe that some of these kinds of prayers have led our church to engage with our city where it has a great need. The mentoring of young people. And I know, I know there's folks like, oh, here he goes again. Gosh, he's going to talk about mentoring again. I just don't get it. Um, here, okay, here's my line of thinking. I'll try it one more time. How do you change life as we know it through the love, loyalty, and friendship of Jesus Christ? I mean, what's a strategy to do that? How do you do that? I mean, how do you change the world My line of thought has always been, and I've always believed, change youth, you change the world. You change a generation by raising a generation. So at Highland, we're looking at ways that we can mentor. It's another way to disciple that maybe broadens our current scope of what we think about spiritual discipleship to discipling through a skill. You know, while skills are taught, Character and other intangible things are caught. That's what happens with that type of mentoring. It's, it's based on an old idea of apprenticeship. It's what Jesus did with his disciples. Really, he was the rabbi, and he was there, they were their, his apprentices, and they followed him around. That's how it was practiced. It still happens today. There are certain professions that still do this. Construction, medicine, architecture. But it can be done with other areas like we're doing for young and old through the Elevate program through our church and through our community center. Art, performing art, and life skills are taught. But because of Christ in you, 
something else is also caught. You know, we have a good group of Highland men who are doing mentoring through activity by meeting with young men and boys through uh, Mentoring Matters and, and Big Brothers, Big Sisters. It's really simple. It's a really simple idea. What's the thing that you love to do? Think about the thing. What, what is the thing that you like to do? What's your hobby? What, what is it you enjoy? Think about that. And now think about going and taking somebody that doesn't maybe know the Lord or somebody who needs to grow in the Lord and go do that with them. You know, it's this cool idea that, that maybe where your greatest joy lies, it intersects with one of the world's greatest needs. Mentoring and discipling can change an individual. And that can change a family. And that can change a neighborhood. And that can change a city. Pray for the peace and prosperity of our city. Let God lead you and the friends that you pray with to ways that you can contribute to the peace and that common good. Look, I know that some of you, when I, when I talk about discipleship, about mentoring, there might be the question of, I've never done that before. I'm not sure I can. I, I mean, I don't have, I've never been trained in the Bible. Again, we got ways to help you with that if you want to pursue that. But, but maybe, you know, just taking that first step is like, okay, well, maybe you're not an expert with the Bible, but you have something that you're really good at. Knitting, crocheting, mountain biking, mechanics, whatever. Something that you enjoy doing. You're good at it. Do that with somebody. It's a step it's a step towards that whole idea of discipling and mentoring. It's real simple. Real simple. Well, the band, you guys can come on up here. But I, I really just want us to begin praying. Praying about the ways that we can contribute to the peace of the city and the common good of our city. And yes, along the way, along the way, while we are quietly working, minding our own business, God might bring a test. He might bring a trial, a hardship. You know, and His purpose is probably twofold. Yes, He might be maturing us through the trial, but He also might be finding a way to make His name great in the eyes of someone around us. Someone around you. But it's going to be alright. He's going to be there with us in the furnace. He's going to be with you in the trial. Just, just pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, we pray for the peace, Your peace, to be on the city of Asheville. We're not exactly sure what that looks like, God. But we think it might have something to do with Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we know that there, there are things that maybe we are to participate in, to help with. And Lord, I know that we might be thinking, well, my marriage isn't prospering. My family isn't prospering. Why should I do something outside of these things that are in great need? But Lord, maybe, maybe if we begin thinking about the prosperity of our city, then we will prosper too. Maybe somehow in joining you in your mission, there's health and healing along the way. 
instead of waiting until we get everything perfect, everything right, and then looking out around us. God, the truth is, is that we're an imperfect people. We're a broken people. But you are a God who makes whole people. And you are a God who redeems people. And you do not break the reed that is bruised. You want to strengthen it. You want to help it grow, to take root. Lord, I know that's what you want to do with us. You have plans, you have hopes, you have a future. And so, Father, with this group of people, I pray, Lord, that you continue to work within us, and I pray that we'll continue to walk with you and where you want to take us. You're good, and we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship.